Hey, this is Pastor T.J. Earl at Knoxville Community Church. I'm so happy that you've decided to tune in with us as we are encouraged, convicted, and challenged by God's Word this morning. If you don't know anything about us, you can find more information at knoxvillecommunity.com or see us at Knoxville Community Facebook page and Instagram page. You can go there also if you'd like to partner with us financially to knoxvillecommunity.com. There's a button that says Give in the top right corner. We'd love to partner with you in any way we can. If you need prayer, you can shoot an email to prayer at knoxvillecommunity.com or shoot me an email at tjearl at knoxvillecommunity.com. We meet every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at AMC Theater on Millertown Pike. We would love for you to come and be a guest of honor and pray with us as we serve this community and try to see all those that are lost in this world find their home in Jesus Christ. I like to follow um, a lot of cults on documentaries. Anybody enjoy looking at that kind of stuff? I know Doug's all over it. Um, I think I know everything about Warren Jeffs and the Latter-day Saints, all but maybe his social security number. Uh, I haven't even watched this latest one because I'm convinced there's really nothing else that I can find out. Uh, so whether it's uh, Mormons, LDS, uh, Heaven's Gate, if you haven't watched that, it's a fantastic documentary. I'm intrigued by these cults. Um, and in a way, if we're honest with ourselves, you and I, in this room today, are a part of what one could consider a cult. Christianity itself is a sect of people that are uh, motivated and surrounded by uh, one person with one thought process and one belief, uh, and so uh, certainly fits the qualifications. But there is quite a difference. And it's easy to look at cults and uh, read into those and say, how could people get involved in that? When you think about Heaven's Gate, right? That's that's just a crazy one that they were ready and sitting uh, for this spaceship to come and take them away and the things that they did to their own bodies and all that kind of stuff and the mass uh, termination of life, I'll say, with kids in the room, that kind of stuff. It's just insane. But so many people have committed their life uh, and, and so many books and so much um, of their time into studying what makes a cult, why do people join cults. We have kind of uh, sex of that today with uh, pastors, right, that, that get mass followings. Joel Osteen has his own following of people for the things that he promises to do. Um, you've got um, the uh, side of the world with the healing pastors and the TV evangelists that have their own following, the Joyce Myers of this world that people follow and go head over heels for. And why do they follow these people? And I think at the base of it, you could, you could argue about wanting to feel a, a sense of belonging. You could argue about... Um, some sort of life change that happened to them, uh, a sense to be wanted, uh, all these things. But they're a part of these groups at the root of it because of what that group brings and offers to them and what comes for them, right? Uh, You pick an insurance for your car. Does it really matter the company? A lot of times, no, it doesn't. Who can get me the most coverage for the least amount of deductible? Uh, And at that price and that premium, then let's go with it. We do that with all sorts of things. What can you do for me? Uh, The whole phrase, what have you done for me lately, is on everyone's mind when you're thinking about 
how someone has an effect in your mind. They could have done a thousand things for you, but what have you done for me lately? I put on social media yesterday just a big question mark. Why follow Jesus? Why do we follow Jesus? Have you ever thought about in your life, I want you to think about and ask yourself that question, why do I follow Jesus? If you're a follower of Jesus here, why? And Jesus asked that same question today, and I want to get to the reason of why we follow Jesus. And it's different than any other cult. It's different than any other belief system. It's different than anything else that this world has to offer. So we're starting in verse 35, and we'll actually finish chapter 1 today. In verse 35, it says, The next day John was there again with two of his disciples. That's John the Baptist. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. Recap from last week, the Lamb of God. Huge statement. He has the statement of the Son of God, but the Lamb of God statement that, Look, this is the Lamb of God. This is the sufficient sacrifice who has come to lay his life down the altar for you and for me. And John states this. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Why did they immediately follow Jesus after this statement? These people have followed John the Baptist. One in particular is Andrew, the brother of Peter, who has followed John the Baptist the entire time in his ministry. They've been through so many things together, and John the Baptist looks and says, Look, the Son of God, the Lamb of God who has come. And immediately these two stop following John the Baptist, and they go and they follow after Jesus. And I think the answer is because John the Baptist had discipled them well, and they knew what they were looking for. John the Baptist had had discipled Andrew so well that when Jesus came on the scene, they do immediately to leave him and go straight towards him. There's a big issue in our churches today that I think there are so many pastors that have built so many celebrity followings and so many church cultures, and this is the way our church does it. This is the way that we do things. Fill in the blanks with statements like that over and over again. And that if Jesus came, all right, and listen to this, and Jesus comes and sits in their church and says, hey, come and follow me, there would be so many people that look and say, well, my church doesn't do it like that, Jesus. I'm, I'm good. Because they've been trained in a system. They've been trained in an American church with, with Western eyes, in a Western mindset, in a Western belief system. And Jesus and who he is and what he believes and the way that he teaches and the hard things that he takes time and time again, people are like, hey, I don't, I don't think I can do that. I'm going to do things the way that my church does them. Jesus, if you want to do things that way, then go ahead. And it's not just the people's fault. You can't blame them. That's what they've been brought into in their church system. That's what they've been discipled in. You've got to blame the leader, the shepherd, the one who is to prepare them. It's on them. I hope that as a shepherd here, that I shepherd you in a way that whenever Jesus is on the scene, 
that you would leave whatever it is that I'm doing and follow after him. John the Baptist, the same way, had taught them so much about the Son of God who was to come, the Messiah. He was preparing the way, making the way smooth, straight, for the Messiah to come. That when Jesus stepped on the scene, they immediately left John the Baptist. Hey, no hard feelings, JTB, but this is what you've taught us to do. I'm going with him. And I think there couldn't be a more prouder moment for John the Baptist than when Andrew and the other disciple left and followed Jesus because that was the point. That was the purpose. Then look in verse 38. Turning around, Jesus saw them following, and he asked, What do you want? <laughs> this is great, right? I mean, two guys leave everything, they go follow after Jesus, and Jesus notices somebody's walking behind him, and they're like, he, he looks at him and he goes, Hey, uh, uh, what do you want? First of all, we know that Jesus knows what they want. But what a strange question. But Jesus asked questions to bring things out, right? He had purpose behind his questions. And they answered. They said, Rabbi. And when you hear that word, the word Rabbi just means teacher. Where are you staying at? Jesus said, Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, who was Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who had heard that John had said, who had heard what John had said and followed after Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas which is also translated as Peter. That first question, what is it that you want? Why are we following Jesus? Think about your life. At the moment that you decided, I'm following after Jesus, or whichever way you want to look at it, that the Holy Spirit drew you near to Jesus. And that moment took place, you began to follow after him. Why? It's a legitimate question. Some people follow because they want money. They want success. They want a better marriage. They want a better family. They want a better moral standard for people to live by. So many people that they don't really uh, care about church and they have a kid and they say something like, I just really want something for my child to grow up in. I don't want them. How come it's for your child but not you? All those things are good things. Moral standards are good things. Success, all of that is good. But Jesus, what did he say? Why did Jesus come? That you may have life and have it more abundantly. This is remind, uh, reminds me here, and we'll get there in chapter 6. In chapter 6, Jesus goes through this very difficult teaching and he says something along the lines of, if you want to follow, you will have to drink of my blood and you will have to eat of my flesh, which is a very weird thing to say when we don't have the teaching that we have in communion now and everyone's thinking, uh, this guy's a cannibalist. He wants us to eat his flesh, drink his blood. 
And if you want to get to God, you have to go through me. And so many of the disciples that were following after Jesus in that moment, they said, this is a hard teaching. That was their exact words. This is a hard teaching. How can we follow this? And they left. They stopped following Jesus. And Jesus immediately looked over at his disciples and he said this. You do not want to leave me too, do you? Jesus would ask the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter got it. He understood it. You may say hard things. We may go through hard circumstances. We may have difficult times in our life. And the things that so many people promise and so many televangelists promise and so many people that in your life and through social media promise that God will bring you never come to fruition. But if you follow after Jesus, you can rest assured the one thing that you will always have is life and have it more abundantly. Eternal life. That's why he came, that I came to give you life and give it to you more abundantly. Not the things that will die and pass away with this world. But an eternal life with him. I think it's also a great example that Andrew does this. The first thing he does, and scripture says it right here, right? The first thing Andrew did, this was verse 41, was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we found the Messiah. We live in a world where it's very casual to tell people about Jesus, I feel like. And and I'm going to preface this next part to say that I am guilty of this as well. (laughs) But why are we so casual in proclaiming that the Messiah has come? The first thing Andrew did, because he realized what he had, was go and tell his closest friends about him. Are there days, maybe even weeks, God forbid months in your life, that you go without proclaiming that the Messiah has come to someone? Last week I told you that our job is the same as John the Baptist, to go to our places of work, to go to our communities and say, look, the Lamb of God. And I don't mean just in those words because that's not going to make sense to everyone, but in whatever phraseology you need to use in whatever place you need to go and say, the Lamb of God has come, the one who has sacrificed and did what you could not do, what I could not do, freely gave life. The same is true that if you have the Messiah, if you have a second uh, life, a second chance, forgiveness in Christ Jesus, We ought to be motivated to tell everyone we know about Jesus Christ. And it's very popular now to say, hey, well, just live your life in a certain way. Just live your life in a certain way, and and people will begin to ask questions and follow. And some of those things are true when people have shut you down, that that door, that conversation is not open. But there is no excuse for you or for me to not be able to bring up and say the good news of Jesus Christ. It happens time and time again in Scripture. And I'm not near as worried about you guys 
trying to grow a church or attendance as I am teaching and discipling you, that when Jesus comes, you follow after him, and that when Jesus is declared, that you tell to each person in your life, in your circle, about him. Verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And this is what Nathanael asks. He says, Nazareth? Can anything even can anything good come from there? Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. First thing in this passage to point out is Nathanael's question. Nathanael says, is there anything good that can come from Nazareth? For example, we have, uh, you know, a lot of places around town where not the best of things are. And if someone told you that the next governor was going to come from that part of town, would you say, there's no way. Nathaniel saw Bethlehem, which was a very poor shepherd's town in Nazareth. And he says, can anything good come from Nazareth? You want me to leave everything and go follow after him. Should he not be coming from Jerusalem? Should he not be coming from the mountains of Jerusalem? So the whole temple turns and sees and everyone bows. Not Nazareth, but there. But that's not how Jesus was going to come. Why did Jesus come from Nazareth? What was the purpose of him coming from Nazareth? And what does that say of us at Knoxville Community Church? I don't know, but I do know this. It's a very popular place to plant churches in West Knoxville. I work in West Knoxville. i got a lot of friends in West Knoxville. have no hate for West Knoxville. But it's an easy place for people to say you should be on this side of town. You should be in this area. This is where the money's at. When we were praying about planting a church, we had someone who their literal words were, you can come plant here, you'll never have to worry about money. And those are easy things to contemplate because money is helpful. But we knew God was calling us here to our community. And look around, you don't see as many Plants and ministries and opportunities in the communities here. Why is it? Just this week, it happens all the time. Someone at work said something about it. I'm not going to that side of town. I've lived on this side my entire life. I've had just as many problems out west as I have east. As many believers, as many committed followers, if not more. And I'm proud that we plant in this community that we love and desire to be a part of. But I got to think that I faced this question many times. Why East Knoxville? Why Spring Hill? Why not Teleco? 
Why not Farragut? And I think not that it's bad to plant there and people have their calling to do so. Don't hear me say that if you're in a different church in West Knoxville, that you're a sinful church. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm talking about us and our mission and what God has called us to do. And we were very, very direct and even turned down easy opportunities of places to meet over the last year because we are committed to this diameter around this area. Nathaniel looks and says, can anything good come from Nazareth? Yeah, the hope of the world. And I want people, if they ask of you, if they ask of me, say, can you, can you even do anything on East Knoxville? And say, yeah, we can share the hope of the world. If Jesus can come from Nazareth, we can plant in the darkest cities. We can use the lowest of income bases. Jesus didn't need it. Neither do we. All we need is the hope of Jesus, proper discipleship and training, people that are motivated to tell of the good news of Jesus Christ, people that are motivated by the fact that if they see Jesus, that they leave whatever they're doing to go after him. That's what we need. And that's who you'll see Jesus ask time and time again to come follow him, fishermen, and even worse, tax collectors. And then the great thing about the rest of that passage is Jesus looks at Nathaniel and he says, hey, I saw you yesterday below under the fig tree. Jesus wasn't there, but he saw Nathaniel. And Nathaniel knew that. Nathaniel was amazed. This is comforting. Before you ever knew Christ, before you ever came to know him, he knew you. Yes, that part of you that didn't want anything to do with him, that part of you that did not follow him in your deepest and darkest sin, in your deepest and darkest moments, he saw you and he still looked at you and he said, come and follow me. <clears throat> he has always seen you and he always will see you. He hears your cries each night. He knows your heart. He knows every part of you. Then Nathanael declares, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. <clears throat> now hang on to what Jesus says here. He says, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. But you will see, that is a plural you. He's looking at all of the disciples here. You will see greater things than that. He then added, Very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, where have you heard that before? Genesis 28, 12. There's Jacob, right? He has a dream. It says in verse 12, and behold, a ladder was set on the earth with the top reaching to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Jesus mentions this and speaks in Hebrew and John writes it down. And he says, Jesus looks at them and says, You believe because you, saw, I saw, you, said, I, you said that I saw you under the fig tree and you are amazed. But I'm telling you 
that you will see even greater things than this. The Son of Man that has come and angels ascending and descending like a ladder. He quotes directly from Genesis chapter 28 where Jacob goes up, wrestles with God, and the angels that are coming up and down on this ladder. And you say, what does that mean? What is the reference? Oh, in that time, how did anyone connect with God? Through the tabernacle, right? And you had to go through a high priest who would go through the Holy of Holies in the temple. But Jacob was given this dream and was allowed to enter from heaven with the angels that were going up and down and go to God directly. We have now walked into a new dispensation, a new time, a new place, and that ladder is now in place, and the ladder is Jesus Christ. And he says, the things that you will see that will be so amazing, you will think that there are angels coming up and down from heaven. You will see amazing things take place. Death brought to life. And here I am to be the ladder, the connection between earth to God. You'll no longer have to go through a high priest. You'll no longer be able to have to say, I'm going to have to get this way in order to talk to God. But yet through me, the high priest, Jesus Christ, you will now be able, like a ladder, from here, your heart to God's. And that's what Jesus tells him. And this is the moment, because next week in John chapter 2, and we'll finish up. Next week in John chapter 2, we start the first of the eight signs. And Jesus turns the water into wine. And so John, who is such a great writer, right? Remember, he is the maverick of the gospel writers. You have the synoptic gospels, which means same or like the same. And then you've got John's gospel, which is the maverick gospel. And the way that he writes... And there's a guy in entertainment, uh, that in WWE and boxing, his job, I can't remember his name, Doug or uh, Chase would remember it. His job is to say, let's get ready to rumble. He says that. No one else can say that phrase. Only he can say that phrase. It's trademarked. And people pay him like a million dollars to come and say that before their event. It's an incredible gig that I would love to have the rest of my life. This is John's moment when he says, Jesus looks at him. And you can imagine the movie, right? I want you to picture this. I had an incredible teacher of the Gospels in seminary, and he would have us write out each passage with the camera setting, the director's instructions, the actor's instructions, and how we would picture, because that's how narrative is written, specifically in ancient language. And you imagine the camera, and the camera's kind of zooming in on Jesus as he's speaking to Nathaniel, and he says, hey, you believe because all I did was tell you you were under the fig tree. You ain't seen nothing yet. And you get the music that comes in, right? It gets louder. And then you hear the let's get ready to rumble guy coming in in his tunic. And the signs begin to happen. And we go straight to the wedding in Cana where Jesus turns the water into wine. And this is where we find ourselves. This is the beginning. John chapter 1 gave the credentials of Jesus. The credentials of John the Baptist. The way that was laid out, the path that John the Baptist answered and said this is the son of god this is the lamb of god he has come he picks his disciples they begin to follow after him he assembles his avengers team and john says all right let's go 
and that's what we'll pick up next week. But this week, I want you to apply and think in your life. Number one, why is it that you follow after Jesus? And that answer has to stem from life. Because he offers you life. Not a better life. Yes, it is. But that's not what we're talking about. The only life. And the second thing you've got to ask is, are there people in your life that you need to declare the Lamb of God has come? The goodness of Jesus. I'm following this man named Jesus. You should come too. And think about the things that God can do in your life. If he can bring his son from Nazareth, a poor shepherd's town with nothing, then he can do miraculous things in your life. He can do miraculous things in the life of Knoxville Community Church. And we don't just say that as a, as a catchphrase, but we believe it. Don't you dare leave this place today if you can't say you believe it. If you're having trouble believing it, ask God to strengthen your faith. He is the source of our faith. And if you will believe that, if you'll pray with me throughout this summer, in all of our efforts to see people come to know Jesus, God, bring us opportunities in this community. Then let me repeat the words of Jesus. Very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open up and the angels of God ascending and descending upon this community. Father, that is our prayer. That we would see the heavens opened up. And that we would see your spirit descending and ascending upon these people in this community, in our own lives. God, not that we would build our own way of doing things, not that we would build our own system, but Father, we would follow after your son. That we would see lives changed, darkness lifted, marriages restored, and ultimately, God, we would see life brought and breathed through this entire community. And help us, Father, to not be satisfied until we see it. We pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.